Welcome to the Communities Podcast. We greet you in the precious name of our Lord Jesus, whom we adore, of course. We pray this word will richly bless you and speak to your heart. Enjoy. So if you've been tracking with us, uh, we've been talking about spiritual keys. And the reason why we've, we've been talking about spiritual keys is because uh, I believe uh, as, as a church, we are there for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. And if you know how things are in the spirit, then you're able to actually take the spiritual blessing of the Lord and, and pull it back down into the physical, natural realm. And, uh, and I know some of you might say that sounds a little bit too, too uh, spiritual, but you remember your prayer that Jesus says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in heaven. Let it be so on earth. So there are things that happen in the heavens that we need to manifest here in the natural realm. And we need to know how, we, how, how to do it. Because oftentimes as Christians, uh, I, I just feel that we are not successful in that. The Bible says, by the stripes of Jesus Christ, you are healed. So if I am healed, why do I still struggle with the sickness? And there is a reason for it. There is a reason for, for, for things happening in your life. And so that's why we want to talk about the series, Spiritual Keys. So uh, it's taken me a lot longer to deal with authority. I planned to deal in one session with authority, and now we are on our third session, and uh, we're going to get there. So I believe one of the spiritual keys that the person must have is authority. Because if you don't have authority, nothing moves. Eh? Because how many times have you had a devil in your house, and you're like, I bind you and you do your thing and you chuck oil at it and you light a candle and nothing happens and the devil's still there and then you're like leave and your wife leaves and the devil leaves with her you know how did that happen how did that happen and oftentimes as as, as christians we don't know where the problem is because you are a spirit you have a soul and you live in a body and there are three spheres that you have to deal with with yourself and there are three main reasons why you get attacked. One is the devil comes against you. As Pentecostal charismatics say, what we believe, right? Every problem is a devil problem, right? But then sometimes life happens. And then sometimes God happens. Mm, some of you got stretched your theology right there. Read Job, the book of Job. Because of your righteousness, you'll get tested. Because sometimes when you are led into righteousness, God will set you up. So remember Job where he says this, uh, the devil comes up to a place of heaven. In other words, there was a meeting place. And there in the meeting place, there was the, there was the angels. God was there. I don't know if they were having a party. I don't know if they were having a feast. Maybe there was a bit of a disco going on. I don't know what was happening. But we know that the Bible says this. And then, the devil, and then God asks the devil when he sees him coming in amongst the angels. And he says, devil, where have you been? And he says, I've been to and fro across the earth. Seeing who's righteous. Why does he ask that question? Because the devil wants God to judge the earth again like he did with Noah. He wants to wipe everybody out. Remember, there was one intention from the devil, and that's to kill you. He doesn't want to be your friend. That's why I don't understand people who are satanic worshippers or Luciferians. I don't understand it because you're going to die one day, and you're going to go to his place. And as far as I understand from his place, it isn't a lack of place to hang out. And then you're going to get there, and then the guy that you've been worshipping is still going to torture you. He's still going to kill you. He's still going to go after you. So why worship Dirk in the first place? You know, I understand agnostics and atheists and Muslims and stuff. I understand that. I understand Hindus, 300 million gods. It's a little bit confusing, but I understand that. I get that. But what I don't understand is why you would worship a guy that at the end of the day is still going to hurt you. I, that I don't get, right? So we know that the devil's intention, remember Jesus said this, he was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. 
and I, and I don't have time for that, but it's difficult for me to leave it alone because that is such a, oh, such a powerful thing. Such a powerful thing. Uh, maybe we'll get into it a little bit later. We'll see how this goes. So, and so, so understanding what happens in the spiritual realm, understanding what happens is vitally important. And sometimes it's the devil that comes against you. And you must know how spirits work. Spirits work by legal right. Spirits work by legal right. They do not operate because they don't have a free will, so to speak, to come against you. If I have something in my house that is a welcome mat or it's, a, it's an open portal or a door that gives the devil a spirit right to come into your house. Sometimes life happens. Sometimes you get sick and then you die. Boom. End of life. Why? Because it's appointed to all men to die once. Why? Ultimately, the answer, short answer is sin. That's why. Sickness and disease. When God created Adam, he didn't give him. When did Adam's uh, his time start ticking, if I could say it that way? When did his biological clock start ticking? Some of the women are looking at me going, like, I understand what he's saying now. The minute he entered into sin. So I asked a man this question once, and uh, he, he was a person who believed in evolution theory. And we were having this little scientific conversation. I was like, yeah, it's a cool theory. It's nice. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. I said, you know what's interesting? The earth, Adam and Eve could have been living millions of years in the garden before he sinned. Because when God created him, he didn't create him to go die. He could have lived for millions of years. We don't know. And the man said to me, no, that's rubbish. I said, no, it's theory like evolution. It was a little bit funnier in my head than what you're responding, but thanks, Leander. So you could have lived for millions of years. But the reason why his end of his life started happening, in other words, when the expiry date started happening on his life is because of sin. And the things that happen in this world is because of sin. A creation groans for the children of God to be revealed. Why does the creation of groan? Because all creation is constantly moving because of our condition. God wants to bring us back into full circle. God wants to heal, restore the earth. He wants to, when God created you, he created you with the idea that you would live forever. That's why he created you. So, the devil comes against you because he hates you. Life happens because ultimately we, we're all going to die because of sin. One day. Death and taxes, two things that are sure in your life. And the third thing that happens is God. Because of your righteousness and because of your faith and because of the way that you live, God will say to the devil who walks constantly before God, the devil, his one main job is to accuse you. That's all the devil does. That's all the devil does. Is he accuses you all day. I'm, I'm pausing for effect because how often as us as Christians are doing the devil's work by what we say about other people. Because we are more ministers of the devil than what we are of God sometimes because of the way that we accuse people. I, I'm just, I hope you're getting the point. I'm trying to sink it in a little bit. Okay, so that's why there is no such thing as a ministry that accuses other ministries. There's no such thing. That's the devil's work. It's not God's work. That's why you're not appointed to judge anybody. But let's leave that there for a second. So, because of your righteousness, God says, and he set Job up when the devil was there before God. And he said, Have you and he said I've walked to and throw across the earth. I haven't seen anybody that's righteous. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? That's when God just set him up. And why does God set you up? Because he's one, he's Jew. You know, he's, he came as one culture, he came as a Jew. 
If God came himself as a Jew, it, it told you what kind of culture attracted him. I, I, this is a thinking church. Eh? Why does God set you up? Because if you know the nature and the character of God, that's what the Bibles are really about, the 66 books, it's about the nature and character of God. Why does God set you up? Because there cannot be any glorification without any form of testing. Does God want, what is God's ultimate goal with you? To glorify you. So that's why he allows you to be tested. And also the reason why he allows you to be tested is because you are better than the devil. Because the devil hates you so much because you created an image and likeness of God. So God's reminder to the devil constantly is of what he can never be, right? Right? So he allows the devil to test you. Why does he allow the devil to test you? Why does he... So a man preached it this way. He said he believes in a very big God and a very small devil. And he believes that the devil is like a pit bull on a chain. And so he allow, uses the devil to, to get what, you, what he wants out of you and then says, sit boy, and then the devil sits. He uses the devil to get what he wants out because he knows the nature of the devil. God is a very sneaky person. God is a very smart person. He's a very wise person. If I could say it that way, I don't have the words to describe him completely, but there is something sneaky about God because he knows the very nature of a person and he catches them by their craftiness. He catches you by your slyness. He catches you by your nature. And then he says to you, okay, I'll allow you to do this because I know what your nature is like, so I know what you're going to do. So I'll allow you to do this because ultimately you're still going to do what I want you to do. So he allows the devil to attack you. Why does he allow the devil to attack you? Because when you wrestle with the devil, when you wrestle with him, he knows that you're going to beat him. He knows that you're going to overcome him. He knows that you're going to win in the end. So now there is a glorification because there was a testing. Now there's a glorification because there's a wrestling. And how does God know that you are ready to whip the devil's backside? Because before God will allow the devil to wrestle you, he will take you, Jacob, and he will wrestle with you. And if you can overcome God, and if you can wrestle with God, he will allow you to wrestle with anybody else. God won't send you in without training you first. That's why your Bible says that he won't test you beyond your measure. So he will allow you to wrestle with him ultimately for you. So God allows the devil to come against you for your sakes. He allows life to happen for his sakes. Why? Because if life happens and you know that you're ultimately going to die, you know you're going to ultimately stand before him. And his greatest desire is to meet you. God's greatest desire is to meet you. Oh, okay, I'm looking at some dead faces a bit. God's greatest desire is to meet you. So why do you say, Nicholas, but if he's God and he can do what he wants, why doesn't he just pitch up? And I used to think the same thing. But then I read in my Bible, in the book of Exodus, when God wanted to see his people, and he said, Moses, bring them. And then they all got around the mountain, and they got freaked out because all of a sudden the atmosphere couldn't handle God. And there was lightning, and there was thunder, and everybody got scared, and they ran away. God stays away for your sakes, because if he had to appear, you would die, because no flesh has seen him and lived. So he removes himself out of the equation, and he sends his son in your form, so that you may get to know him, because he became like you, so you would become like him. So he allows life to happen, because life ultimately will get you on your knees, and that's the best place you're going to be. So the devil is there 
for you to stand on something so that you can go higher because he called you to heavenly places. So he needed to give you a ladder to get there. That's why I gave you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy because I wanted you to stand on something. And when the enemy comes against you, I want you to have the authority so that you may say to him, Komiso, staniso. Now I get higher. Okay. So this morning I want to talk to you about uh, continuously authority and what kills your authority. What kills your uh, anointing is in the book of Jude. And if you're not there yet, I just gave, all, I gave, you, just gave you some more time to get there. Because it's one of those books people don't read. In the book of Jude, it's written by a guy called Jude. Now, the name Jude is actually a Greek form. It's not a Hebrew form. Uh, there's, no, there's no Jude or James actually in the Hebrew form. They're both, their names are Jacob, actually. That's why if you read an Afrikaans Bible, you won't find James. You'll find Jacobus. It's Jacob because you can't find James in Afrikaans. So Jude is this Jude who wrote this is the brother of James, who is the brother of Jesus. That's how they describe them. Because, it's, uh, because once they have seen Jesus as so holy, they, they try and distance themselves even further away from him so that they wouldn't be identified so much as him. So there were a few Jameses that was mentioned, and one of the Jameses that walked with Jesus was the brother of Jesus, meaning he was Mary's secondborn. So Jude is probably Mary's thirdborn. So this is, the, uh, this is one of the brothers of Jesus, his natural brothers. In other words, somebody who grew up in the same house. And why it's interesting to me to read the book of James and the book of Jude is because here are two people who must have struggled with the idea that somebody that is born with me, that grew up with me, my mommy wiped his backside, she wiped my backside. You know, we went to the same toilet place. You know, we saw him live as a person. You know how you people are, right? Lived as you, and then to have recognized him as Christ. To me, that's massive. That's why I like reading this, because you get to see uh, through their eyes who the Messiah is. Because every epistle, every gospel is really just a re revelation of who he is. It's, a, it's their story of who he is. That's why you, you haven't yet, yet read the Gospel of Nicholas. You haven't read the Gospel of Leander. You haven't read the Gospel of Richard. In other words, you haven't yet seen... Jesus through your eyes, through your story. And that's the beautiful thing about God, is that every person experiences him differently. God is so big, he is so wide, and everything he is so holy, he's so divine, if you will, that every time you see him, you only see a part of him. And if a part of him gets you shouting and screaming and happy and joyous, imagine what happens when you see all of him. And no man is yet to see all. All of him. That's why to say that you're a theological scholar is actually incorrect because nobody can really define him. And when you read the early day writings of the early day church, this is what makes it so beautiful when you read their writings because they had this mind that we couldn't define him. So they constantly came up with ideas and said, you've seen him in this light. Maybe we should see what happens when you see him in this light. And that's why the Greek Orthodox, that's, that's basically why the Greek Orthodox church exists because the Orthodox church was the church that exists to define one thing, and that's heresy. That's all they did for 2,000 years. The wrong way to believe. It took him 2,000 years, they still haven't figured it out. Because he's so big, he's so wide. 
So when we, let me not get off topic, but when we, get, when we talk about authority, you as a Christian must know your authority and therefore you must also know what kills your authority. And when we get to the book of Jude, we, we're going to talk about it. So for those who've been tracking with us to bring those people who have just joined us into the same picture, uh, we touched on Luke chapter number seven for those who are making notes. And this is the centurion man. And he says to Jesus, he says this, um, uh, I'm a man also under authority. And we, we, we highlighted under authority. And when you're under authority, you know it's a place that you've been called to. And no man has authority unless he's under authority. Amen. No one is under authority and uh, no one has authority unless he's under authority. Whose authority are you under? Where are you plugged in? Then you have two different kinds of authority. You have authority that is linked to your identity, meaning the more you see yourself in him, the more you will know you, and therefore you will have that authority. And every person that I know that has authority has a very self-awareness of who they are when they walk into the room. They know. I asked a man that I respect quite a lot, a, a preacher, and I asked him, uh, how do you stay humble? And he said immediately, it's almost as if you scripted this stuff, it's as if he wrote it down somewhere. He said, I know who I am, I know who I'm not, and I know whose I am. I know who I am, I know who I'm not, and I know whose I am. And identity is so key because every person's struggle in life, when it comes to having psychological issues, it is always around the fact that they lose their identity. There was a woman that I knew once, very prophetic, and, and we were sharing about a guy struggling with homosexuality. And I said, this person is struggling, struggling. And the woman replied, without knowing that it was homosexuality, she said, yes, I can see he's struggling with his identity. 99% of people that I counsel that come out of a homosexual background don't know who they are. They struggle with identity. What is a father's role? He gives you a place in the earth. He leaves an inheritance behind, and he gives you an identity. And if you have a fatherless generation, you have a generation that calls out for land because they don't have one. You have a generation that doesn't know who they are, and therefore they land up in all sorts of mess, like with their sexual identity. So you have this, uh, that's why identity is so, so important. It is very, very important. It is vital. So you have the authority that is linked to who you are, and then you have the authority that is linked to your mission. And when we read last week, Ezra chapter number seven, Ezra was given a mission statement from the king, Xerxes, from the, from the Persian king, that basically said, when this man goes, whatever he needs, we will give it to him so that he may give unto the Lord whatever God of, of or his God, the God of Jerusalem requires. And whatever he needs, we will give him more. There is, an ident there is an authority that is linked to your mission, to your calling, what you are called to. You have a normal citizen of the kingdom of God, and normal citizens are governed by the rules of that uh, kingdom. And that's what I tried to explain with the military man, a military man that had a certain rank that was, uh, had a confidential letter. He was breaking the speed limit, although he was going on a personal errand for those who don't remember the story. And a traffic cop pulls him over, sees the rank, sees the confidential letter and says, sir, carry on your way. Because he was dressed in uniform. He was dressed in his mission. He was dressed, in other words, he was on his calling. He was on his way to go do what he was called to do. That's why you will see in the church, some people who are called to be prophets, they sometimes act like hooligans and they get things right. And the reason why they get things right, because they have a particular level of authority that is linked to them being a prophet. 
because your, uh, your, your, your mission, your calling, places you in a certain position with God for you to be able to do things that normal citizens aren't able to do. You're following. You're tracking. But when you wear that uniform, when you occupy a level, a certain office, so to speak, there is also repercussions when you abuse that office or that position. And that is usually higher than a normal citizen. So when a policeman, for example, transgresses the law, the judge will give him the full, uh, the full sentence. There's no room for probation. There's no room for, for good uh, behavior because he knew the law. He knew what he was doing. You following? Does this make sense? So, so there's an authority that is linked to your identity, and then there is an authority that is linked to your mission. So now we're going to deal with that which kills that anointing or kills that authority. I'm just going to pick it up from verse 1 because Jude is literally just one book. Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. See how he says, not a brother of Jesus. He says, a brother of James. So that you wouldn't think more highly of him. Because those who walked with God have this ability to say, I need to make myself less so I can make him more. John the Baptist had the same revelation when he met him. That's why any person who really follows Jesus or worships him or really knows him, that's how you will know them through their fruit. And what part of that fruit and that characteristic is humility. When a person isn't humbled, you know, oh, you haven't met Jesus yet. Okay. You can carry on. When somebody stands there and says, Akis di pastor, or I'm the prophet, then you know, oh, you haven't really met Jesus. Okay. So, mercy, peace, love be multiplied to you. No, I've got to say that. That's, it's, it's, it's good. Because oftentimes what happens, specifically in Africa, you see, you've got to be going on somewhere to something else. Especially in Africa. What they do is they intimidate people. They call themselves prophets and they do certain things. And they abuse. And they abuse their position. And there's no humility. And you realize, hey, you actually haven't seen Jesus. You're just another fortune teller. Go throw your chicken leg and bones. Okay. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our Lord God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though once knew, I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterwards, destroyed those who did not believe. How you live determines, actually, tells me exactly how you believe. How you live is actually how you believe. He destroyed people who did not believe. He didn't destroy people who have issues with their flesh. There is a difference between weakness and wickedness. Wickedness is when you don't actually struggle with something and you're just doing it because you're just one of those people. You're just rebellious. That's why the book of Samuel says that rebellion is like witchcraft. That's why I say rebellion is like witchcraft. That's wickedness. Weakness is I have an issue because I'm born as a man and I struggle with sin. Because we all struggle with sin. How many of you struggle with sin? Okay, I'm going to pray for those who didn't raise their hands. Kelly, I'm going to need to anoint you right now. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm joking. I know you're busy writing. I just picked on you. 
and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. I just want to give context here. So Jude and Peter both reference a book called the book of Enoch. The book of Enoch is not part of the canon of scripture, which is the 66 books that make up what we call today the Bible. So they both reference that Paul in his epistles also give us evidence that he was aware of this book himself. And so there were many writings that existed. And, and there's something interesting about uh, this and what they wrote here. Because part of understanding your own authority, and I want to show this because oftentimes we miss this. And angels who did not keep their proper domain, God judged these angels. When you are a person of authority, you understand where your domain ends and where, where your domain begins. When you are a person of authority, you understand the realm that you are supposed to operate in. In other words, when somebody comes to me and says, hi, brother, and I want to say to him, I don't know who you are. I wanted to say other things, but I'm Christian, so I can't say that. I say, I don't know who you are because we have no relationship. We might have the same father, but there's no relationship, so how can you call me brother? And when the Bible says this, a woman asked me this question. She said, Nicholas, is it, not, is it not correct for me to go around and correcting people on how they believe? And I said, no, it's not right for you to do that because your Bible says correct your brother and do it in love. Firstly, for me to correct somebody means I should be able to relate to that person. It means that I have relationship with that person. To correct that person means we need to be able to have relationship. In other words, your authority ends when you don't have relationship with people because you don't have the domain to do it. You following? So, in other words, I'm going to ask you this question. Where is your personal domain? Where does it end? Because every king knows the border of his kingdom. And you are kings in his house. Where does your kingdom end? Where does your influence end? Where does it stop when you speak over people's lives? That's, that's a bit of wisdom right there for some of you to keep your mouth shut. Just because we have the same last surname doesn't necessarily mean that we have relationship. And that's where a lot of conflict happens in families. And here I wanted to pull this to you because we, we miss this. And angels who do not keep their proper name but left their own abode. In other words, these angels who left their abode, that's why God judged them. He has reserved an everlasting change under darkness for, the, for, the, uh, for judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So this is talking about the day of judgment um, that happened similar to what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah as God judged them with fire, so what will happen to the earth? We will get, get judged with fire. You remember the little story. Let me just give you some history. Maybe some of you will know. Um, where's that unlovely child? Whose naughty child is that? I need to talk to that child's father. It's my daughter, y'all. Pray for me. Get my house in order. Every bishop's got to get his house in order. 
When remember when no uh, when 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 Lot Abraham and Lot and Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah and God went and and for the sake of Abraham saved Lot. Remember the story Genesis chapter number eighteen, and he pulled Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that. Remember that his two daughters then ended up sleeping with him to make more children. You know why they did that? Because in the book of Enoch he spoke about two judgments. One will be the flood, and secondly the book of Enoch also references the book of Revelation. The second judgment will be in fire. That's where Peter got it. So when the two daughters saw Sodom and Gomorrah burn up, they thought that it was the day of judgment that God had judged the earth again. That's why they slept with their dad, because they thought that they were like a Noah to try and have to repopulate the earth. So that's why they did what they did, and that's why they got their dad drunk. It wasn't just the influence of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was the fact that they saw this happen, and they thought that the whole earth had been judged the same. And so that makes it very interesting. Because it gives you context to the story. Verse 8. Likewise, also these dreamers defile flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. This is where we start getting into the what kills the authority. I'm just going to do a little bit of teaching. Is that okay? Verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. This is something that the Lord taught me a couple of years ago that I want to share with you. Who is the devil? He's evil. There is nothing good about him, right? Amen? There is nothing good inside the devil. There is nothing good inside of him that is worth saving. God doesn't die for angels. He dies for people. There is no salvation for angels. When angels fall, they fall because they are in the presence of God, and therefore they know him. And for their, they do not have a nature like ours. They have a different kind of nature. That is why there is no hope for them. That's why there is no salvation for them. There is hope for you and salvation for you because you carry a particular nature and there is grace extended to you. So there is nothing good you all agree nothing good inside the devil right now in other words what i just said about angels they cannot sin so therefore angels are pure angels are holy right here's michael an archangel not just any type of angel he's not one of those fat babies with a nappy with a little bow here's an archangel and if you know anything about angelology which is the study of angels one angel can wipe out a nation these are very powerful beings. Okay? Here's this holy person who is powerful. And here is this evil person. There is nothing good about him. And yet this Bible over here, New King James says, and Michael did not bring a charge against the devil. So this is what the Lord said to me, well spoke to me. If there is nothing good inside Satan... And Michael is completely pure and without sin. Why is it that my people, you, Nicholas, look at somebody else who is not completely evil and have the right to speak evil against them or judge them or bring a charge against them? If Michael, who was completely holy, did not, as this New King James Bible says, bring a charge against the devil. What gives you the right to bring a charge against another brother who has been, by the way, washed by the blood of Jesus? What kills your authority is when you speak evil of dignitaries. It doesn't just mean people who sit in presidency, in certain levels of office, of leadership. It also talks about even angels and demons. It talks about principalities and rulers. People who speak evil of people who occupy a particular position 
This is what kills your authority and your anointing. This is what steals from you and why you cannot operate in the authority that you ought to operate in because you're constantly speaking evil of people around you and you're speaking evil and you criticize leadership. Criticism will kill and take away the anointing. It will take away your level of authority. So if Michael who did not bring a charge against the devil. He didn't say, I rebuke you, you foul spirit. You evil. He didn't say anything like that. He literally just said, the Lord rebuke you. Here's an angel that is so powerful that can literally wipe out Africa. And he wrestles against the devil and says, the Lord rebuke you. He doesn't come in his own holiness, his own purity, his own righteousness. He doesn't act like the tunny that sits in the church that sits there and says, who's these, who's these people? Look at what they're wearing. Look at how they're speaking. Am I, am I landing something here? Here's the devil. There is nothing good inside of him. And yet here, the angel, where everything is good inside of him, here's a guy that is in the presence of God who burns like a fire, wrestles with the devil and says, the Lord rebuke you. That's all he says. Oh, how I would wish that we were a church that could hold our tongues and our mouths. Oh, how I wish we were like that. Whoop, there we go. But these speak evil of what they do not know. And, when, and whatever they know, naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And this is where the crux that I wanted to speak to you today about these three people. These guys that have done evil, these guys that are, are accused of speaking evil, they've gone in the way of Cain. Who's Cain? Remember Cain, the brother of Abel, who killed his brother. Remember that. And in Genesis 4, chapter number 7, when, when, when God speaks to him and says, Cain, Cain and Abel offered up their sacrifice. They've offered up their sacrifice. And God respects the sacrifice of Abel. But he does not respect the sacrifice of Cain. And then he says to him in 4, verse 7, If thou do well, will they not be rewarded? But if they, if they do not do well, then sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. Here's something that's very key. Sin operates when we fail. When you have a low self-esteem, when you think less of yourself, you allow sin to come closer to you. When you fail in life, then you feel that sin comes. That's when sin comes in and that's when you start making more mistakes. And here's something that God said, does something that is very powerful. He says to Cain, but you should rule over it. What did he do? He just released authority to Cain to overcome his sin. He gave him the word. He gave him a word. You're not getting it. Remember Luke chapter number 7. I know Lavanae is new here, right? So she wasn't here, but you guys were here. We're listening, right? So I understand when she doesn't get it. Luke chapter number 7. What does the centurion man say to Jesus? He says, speak the word. He says, I speak the word and one comes and one goes. Just speak the word. And Jesus marveled at his faith because if Cain couldn't get it, by the word of God, 
from God. Here's a centurion man who's a Roman, a sinner, a dog, a Gentile, and he understands by the word of God, one comes and one goes because I speak a word and they listen to me. So Jesus, you just speak and I know that things in my house is going to change. The world was framed from what? The word of God. And so when God spoke to Cain and said to him, you should rule over it. He just gave him the authority to rule over his sin. And then what does Cain do? He gives into his sin and he kills his brother. Because he didn't hear the, he didn't operate to the, he didn't, you catch what I'm saying to you. That's why the word of God is so important in your life. That's why when you receive a word from him, you operate by the word. Because when he spoke it, he gave you authority. These have gone in the way of Cain. They have heard the word and they didn't operate by it. They didn't live by it. They didn't do anything with it. This is what kills your authority when you don't operate by the word that God has given to you. So when God says to you, by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed and you get sick. And you say, baby, I don't know what we're going to do with this child is sick. I don't know. You have gone in the way of Cain because you didn't operate by the word. You didn't operate by the word. I got so excited, I went Barry White. <laughs> Warren's like, Barry who? It's before my time. If you don't operate by the word, if you don't give in to the word of God, then the word of God is null, a void. It's ill effect. It doesn't do anything. Jesus says, these traditions that you follow strangle the word of God in the NIC, the Nick translation. It's the paraphrasing. Your traditions make the word of God to no effect. Your lifestyle, the way that you live, make the word of God to no effect. Consider the way that you live when your child is sick. What does the word of God say? By the stripes of Jesus, he shall be healed. Therefore, speak the word, pray the word, live by the word. Are you guys getting something? For I have run greedily in the era of Balaam. Now, Balaam is a very interesting character to me because Balaam has, he converses with God. It's the same as with Job. Job also conversed with God. Remember that. Okay, no, no everyone's just staring at me, okay. So, so the reason why I say that this is very interesting is it might not be interesting to you because I, the way I was brought up was from a spiritual perspective that you had to be in relationship with God for God to speak to you. You had to be in covenant with God for God to converse with you. And yet we find God talking to a Balaam who is not part of the covenant people of Abraham. He does not come from the lineage of Israel. Yet we have Job, who is the oldest book in the, your Bible, by the way, FYI, for those who wanted to know. And Job himself is not an Israeli. He is not even from Iraq, which is where Abraham is from. The land of Ur, for those who don't know, that was in, that's near Iraq. So, in other words, he looked like that. I know it's disappointing. It ruins every, the whole story for you, and we've got to repaint all the child, children's books. So, but that's where they come from. Now, Job, we don't see anything else coming from Job, right? We see Abraham's lineage, and we, and we see Abraham's family, and we see that Abraham is the father of faith, and now we have Job, and Job is the oldest book, and yet we don't see anything from the lineage of Job. 
Did you ever ask yourself why? What about Balaam? Balaam here is conversing with God in Numbers 22, 23, and 24. 23 and 24. Do you want to just get that child out of the house of the Lord, please? Just, just take that baby out. This is distracting me. So again, pray for me. I'm going to get it at home. Um, Balaam. Balaam converses with God in Numbers 22, 23, and 24. Yet Balaam doesn't have a relationship with God. And here the Bible says, and this is just me teaching for those who are going to make notes. Balaam is accused here of doing something wrong. And I never understood why. Because when I read the story, I don't see the issues with Balaam. But here this Bible gives us something, it gives us keys here that I never saw before. He says they teach the children of God to do idolatry. They committed the children of God to commit it. This is the story of Balaam. They, caught, they got the children of God to commit idolatry by placing idols in front of them that they would stumble over it. But this is not even, this is why they had an issue with Balaam in, in, in Israel. This is why they hated him because they brought idols in so that they would worship these false gods and then they would stumble and they would fall. But the error of Balaam here is somebody who was able to do something in the spiritual realm and he did it for money. He did it for money. I know of a church where you can subscribe to the prophet's pen for 20,000 rand a month. These people have gone in the era of the way of Cain, who hated his brother. Then you've got a person here who can do spiritual things for you at the cost of money. The era of Balaam, because he's run off the prophet. And Balaam went and then put idols in front of them for people to worship. I walked into a church once. And I believe this is from the Lord. And he spoke to me and he said to me, have you noticed, Nicholas, what, what, this is, I'm just paraphrasing, God doesn't speak like that. He's not as crazy as what I am. But he said this, have you noticed how people fear the prophet more than they fear God? You're more concerned about what the prophet can see in your life than Jesus who sees everything. You're more concerned and more afraid of the man of God than you are of God. The era of Balaam, taking money to pray for people, to minister to them, causing these people to worship man instead of God. Because the number one sin that is mentioned in the Bible is idolatry. Idolatry. And I asked the Lord this question. But that doesn't happen today anymore, because you don't see people bowing down to statues, particularly in the Western world. I know the Eastern world got their issues, but in the Western world, we don't do that. And the Lord began to point me to how people worship the man. And when the man isn't around, people don't come. And I saw men who begin to fill certain positions that say to you, come under my covering. Under my covering. The only covering that you should be under that your Bible says is Jesus. Secondly, if you study what Lucifer did before he fell and became Satan, that's the one thing that he also desired. 
is for people to come under his covering because his job is the, the angel that does worship was to cover God's glory. Here is somebody going, come under my covering. That's what the devil did. Here is Balaam. Why am, I why am I pausing like this with you? Because I've seen it happen in charismatic Pentecostal churches. Why am I pausing like this for you? So that you would be equipped to know when you identify these signs, you know there's, a tr there's, there's an issue. Are you more afraid of the man of God than what you are of God? There's a problem. Are you more concerned about what Nicholas will see in your life instead of Jesus who is omnipresent? Nicholas isn't there with you 24-7. And then perished in the rebellion of Korah. What is the rebellion of Korah? Rebellion of Korah is there was a guy in the time of Moses when Israel was into the wilderness and they were coming into the promised land. And Korah was a guy who turned around and said, we can also hear from the voice of God, not just this Moses guy. And then God said, okay, cool. Everyone who's with Moses stand on this side. Everyone who was with Korah stand this side. And then everyone that was with Korah, God just opened up the earth and swallowed them. I wonder if I was there, I would have been like, ah, you're here now. Nah. Didn't see that one coming. There is always the temptation that the devil enters into the church. People who will always rebel. And they will rebel because they will come up with their own opinions. And they will not consult with God to say, God, what is it that you want to do? The number one question that God constantly asked me when I planted this church, he said to me, whose kingdom are you building? I had to hear that for a year every single time I went to go pray. Whose kingdom are you building? Whose kingdom are you building? Whose kingdom are you building? And the day that a leader takes up and says, this is my dream, this is my vision, this is my legacy, this is not my legacy. This is not even my business. We've structured this in such a way that I could leave at a drop of a hat if I have to. If God says to me, it's time for you to go to North Korea. Or somewhere else where there's six foot four people. Because I don't think I would do well as a missionary. Like, hide him, hide him. <laughs> Tanya's like, that's racist, Nicholas. You can't say that. You can't walk out there and you're like the tallest person. And Who are you? No, I'm, I'm here. I'm part of the locals. You're the NBA team. <laughs> when I make this my business and not God's business, and when this becomes my legacy, it becomes about what I want and I begin to build my kingdom and I no longer build his kingdom. The calling and the gifts of God are irrevocable, they're without repentance, which means that I will constantly stay with the gift set that God has given me. I will always be able to occupy certain things in the spiritual realm because God will never take that off of my life. Once you have broken through the spiritual, certain spiritual levels, you will never be able to go back. That's why the Lord sometimes makes it so hard for you to get through there because when you start occupying a certain position, you can't do what you used to do. Once you are a colonel, you can't be acting like a private in the military. That's why you won't be necessarily be able to break through there. That's why when we read on day one when I tried to deal with authority, I read 1 John chapter number 2. 
if you are a child, the summation of your faith is about your sin. In other words, I'm, I, I believe because my sins are forgiven. Therefore, that's the only reason why you believe you're still a child in the faith. You're a father in the faith when you know him. And there's a certain level of maturity that is required when you want to grow spiritually. When you want to have spiritual authority, there is a certain level of maturity that is required. And once you are a child, ach, once you are a man, sorry, and you act like a child, what do we say? You say you're childish, but we say you're actually retard. We say that you're actually acting like a child, you've lost your mind, and you've got to be put into a special place, a special location, where you have nurses that take care of you. Why do I say this to you? Is because there is a cry from God. Remember the purpose of God is to take you from sheep to bride to look like him. So there is a process of maturity that is required. And the reason why some of you are not progressing forward in your spiritual journey is because you still act like a child. And therefore you cannot carry the responsibility of being a father. Because once you know him, you can never go back. Once you see him in a particular light, you can never go back. So do you really want to see him? Because there is a certain weight that is with you. And the rebellion of Korah, now here's the interesting thing. The day that that happened, 3,000 people died. When God opened up the earth and swallowed Korah and everybody that was with him. What happened the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was poured out into people? 3,000 people got saved. Coincidence. Because you were once rebellious, but I will make you not rebellious anymore. And I will make you my people. And I will save you and extend grace for you. Because there is a time of judgment, but that time is not yet. And judgment hangs on the tree. And when that time is finished, we call it the dispensation of grace for some theologians. Once the dispensation of grace is finished, then the day of judgment will take place. And God will judge the earth. But in order for him to do that, he needs to remove the church. That's why we believe in the rapture. But while you are still here, there is a level of authority that you are supposed to occupy. The reason why God calls you to authority is so that you may have dominion in the area that he plants you in. You have dominion in this area. You understand what I'm asking. You understand what I'm saying. If you are not exercising your dominion, you are not allowing the kingdom of God and its values to live through you. Therefore, you are restricting God because he decides to do what he wants to do through the church. So there is a certain time where God will say, I will work outside of the church. Let me, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. God wants to use the church to do certain things. And everything that he is doing, he does through the word and he does through his church. God is calling the church to one perfect man. In Ephesians chapter number four, it says this. And Ephesians chapter number four says this, uh, the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry so that we may come into the fullness, the knowledge of him, a perfect man. Because God is calling for all of us to be one. In other words, every church to be one. Every Christian to be one. God's coming back for one body. So his desire is for one body to be perfect. Are you following? Are you tracking? So he wants to use the body. 
he doesn't want to operate outside of his body. But because the body refuses to move, he sometimes has to, to do what he needs to get done. That's why some Muslims see Jesus in the spirit and not see him in the flesh, because the body refuses to be there. And if, as long as you... Oh, Sorry, I, I just I pick things up spiritually. This, your family will have a breakthrough when you decide to move. Your brother will get saved when you start to act more like Jesus. Your sister will come to deliverance when she can see Jesus living in your life. And you are the solution for your family's deliverance. That's why God placed you and called you. So he would put you in the amongst of them sinners. And oftentimes the family doesn't get a breakthrough because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. Because you're so worried about your image and your reputation and you're so worried about what will they say. And you're so holy and you're so little, I'm, I'm so holy and righteous in my corner, nobody can speak to me. Imagine if God had the same attitude. We would never have met Jesus. And you are the closest that people will come to Jesus. So he gives you a particular time so that he can do his purpose and his will through the church. And the solution of South Africa is in the church. And if the church will begin to change, South Africa will begin to change. Your family will get delivered if you could just be a little bit more like him. Instead of trying to be theologically correct, just try to be a little bit more like Jesus. Have you noticed something? Every church where there is a great theologian leading the church, you don't see the power of God in that church. Have you noticed? Why? Because knowledge puffs up and love edifies. Because you have so loved the knowledge, the tree of fruit of good and evil, that you have forgotten the tree of life. And therefore you haven't taken from that tree and there is no life in you. There is only, there is the word and the correct way of understanding the word. And that's why God will save people like William Seymour. A person who is unskilled, uneducated, and yet will cause a massive revival. That's why God will save people like uh, uh, Smith Wigglesworth. So crazy that he will punch people and say I was punching the devil in them. He was a plumber, uneducated, a rouseabouter. God will use him to create miracles and raise dead people. 14 dead people, something like that. <laughs> Let me tell you about the nature of Smith Wigglesworth. He locked his own wife outside the house because she went to church. She sat on the veranda on the stoop till morning. Then he opened up the door because he was so upset that she went to church. You know what she did? She got up there and she, she just wanted to rebuke him, right? She just, someone's phoning. The camera ringing at me. Hello? It's the Lord, and he's like, you need to wrap this up, nigga. This. I, I, got, I got you, Jesus. He locked her out. And you know what she did when she walked in? She said, I'm the woman of this house. I'll tell you how it's going to be. No. She walked in, and she said, morning, Smithy. Do you suck some breakfast? It was because of her that he got saved. And it is because of her that he ends up raising 14 people from the dead. Including her.
when she died, he picked her up and put her against the wall and said, come alive in the name of Jesus. And she came alive and she looked at him and she said, Smith, he just let me go. I want to go. It's my time. He said, okay, Lord, whatever she wants to do. He put her back to bed. He slept. The next morning she was gone and asleep. He didn't use a theologian. He didn't use somebody that was puffed up in knowledge. I'm not saying God can't use theologians and those who have their doctorate degrees. I'm saying that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. I'm saying, would you love people enough to hold your tongue that you will not speak evil of them or speak evil to them or about them? I'm saying, will you, will you get it together in such a way that you will not go in the way of Cain who hated his brother? Will you go in such a way that you will not bring uh, idols in front of people for them to trip and for you to start ministering for money and for you to go to people because of money and you only want to associate yourself with the rich? I'm saying to you, will you not go into the rebellion of Korah where you will not go because this is not your business this is not your legacy we are here because we're plugged in because we believe in the vision that god is giving this ministry and we're just coming aside god for him to do whatever he wants to do you are all gifted and you are all have separate callings and the reason why god calls you together is so that you may contribute to the vision of what he wants to do in this ministry that's why you're here you're not here to listen to me waffle continuously make bad jokes wear skinny jeans you're not here to observe all of that you're here because you're part of the body of christ and you're connecting to the vision and the calling and purpose of this church you need to be in a church where your calling and gifting is activated you're supposed to go to places not where you're tolerated, but where you're celebrated. People shouldn't just put up with you because you're here. People should celebrate with you. They should love you. They should be engaged with you. Are you following? That's why you're here. That's why you join us online. I, I didn't want to uh, invest online. I wanted to switch the camera off, but I can't get rid of the people online. doesn't matter how many times I mock them or go after them. They still want to be connected, so we will do something. But you, in, in order for you to operate in your authority, make sure that your heart is right with God. Make sure that you love them like He loves them. Make sure and understand who you are dealing with. Without communion, we will die. Charles shared a story with me, somebody we used to work with took his own life the other day. He was so depressed and then ended up taking his own life. And I said to Shaul, I'm so grateful for what we have as Saturday guys because we're a bunch of men that get together and we can do communion, we can do life together. Because when you have that tight fellowship, when you're depressed and you're struggling with things, people pick that stuff up and then they, they get involved. That's why it's important for you to come to Community Women. That's why it's important for you to get to come to Saturday, guys. And the one thing that I keep picking up when I meet with different pastors, they'll say to me, oh, so-and-so left their church and then they died. This one left their church and then they died. And this one left their church and then they died. And I dealt with the situation a couple of weeks ago where somebody also plugged out of church, young person, and they found cancer in this person's skin. And you go, because you're out of communion. And how sometimes pastors interpret that as they go, it's because you left the covering. That's why it happened. And that's not true. That's a man focused on his own business. It's because the person left communion. Go read 1 Corinthians 11 again about the, the communion. 
where Paul will say it's because you didn't discern the Lord's body that some of you sleep. It doesn't just mean the man that was on the cross, Jesus. You didn't discern his body. It means you didn't discern his body because you saw each other so little. You spoke down about one another. And therefore some of you sleep, which is to die. And if you're out of fellowship, that's when, you, that's when, you, that's when death comes in. And when, you, when the brethren get together, that's when communion happens. So whenever you leave a church, make sure you never leave communion. And communion doesn't have to happen like this. Communion happens over the table with a dad and a son sitting together, breaking bread, drinking wine about the life of God. That's when communion happens. So whenever you leave church, never leave communion. Make sure you've got friends and family that are with you. People that you see as family, that you can break bread with, that you can pray with. Because without communion, that's when death comes in. Amen. Get to your feet. Thank you so much. <clears throat> so we overcame baby shouting. We overcame load shedding. Bad sound on this speaker. So we struggle on. I remember coming out of the emergency room. Um, one in November, and I was walking around in Kum looking for a, a present for, for Warren. Um, that's what happens when I go to emergency room. I come out, I go, what can I buy Warren? It's the price of my communion. And as I was walking in Kum, I heard the voice of the Lord. I believe the Lord was speaking to me. And I remembered the verse that Paul wrote and said, I have run my race. I have fought the good fight. But when I heard the verse, I heard I have fought to keep the faith. I fought to keep the faith because oftentimes life is just a struggle to keep believing that he's good, that he's for you, that he will deliver you. I have fought to keep the faith. And so I'd like to encourage you this morning that you would fight to keep the faith. Thank you.